Hi, everybody. I'm Lori Roby, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. Good morning. Man, thank you all so much for giving me this opportunity to treat my disease. It's been doing push-ups in the back of my head waiting for a weak moment for me, and I'm not going to give in to it. So, you know, they asked me a long time ago to do this, <laughs> and uh, I've known for a year, and I went shopping two days ago for clothes, and uh, never did find those shoes fit, so I got flats on, and I'm still a procrastinator. That's one of my biggest, uh, biggest character defects, but sometimes it isn't a character defect. I like spur-of-the-moment things, but they've treated me like a queen here this weekend, and I... I really um, feel blessed to be a part of a fellowship that's so loving. And, um, phew, I don't know, I want to already get started <laughs> with emotions. But uh, my sobriety date is September the 1st, 1993. Um, my home group's Conquest Group in Louisville, Kentucky. My sponsor is Francis Sarnicola, and I have a bunch of Al-Anon sponsors up here that try to get me to come more, and I need to, but, you know. I only usually go when my butt's on fire, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, can't. They know me too well, and they're sitting on the front row. <laughs> I think they was gonna do what my mom used to do. <laughs> that was my mom's favorite statement. And, uh, you know, my stepdad's out here today, and, uh, you know, he's sober in the program, and uh, he walks and talks a program, and he gives me hope. Um, I can't say enough. I, you know, I'm not here to talk about him, but I love him, and I thank you for coming, Phil. Um, anyway, to get to this story, I am Hurricane Lori. Um, I bulldozed my way through everything in life. You know, I didn't know how to live. I knew how to survive, and survival um, is something that comes natural, but, uh, you know, it isn't always honest, and it isn't always legal. Um, but I do know how to survive, you know, um, and I'm still today learning how to live. Uh, for the last year, I really thought I was dying. Uh, I had a tumor on my chest, and uh, it was laying on my trach trachea, and I was only breathing out of a straw hose, so I wasn't making real good decisions, and, and I really thought I was going to lay in my house and die of uh, grief and depression and alcoholism and wasn't drinking or anything, but my thinking was really messed up because I wasn't getting oxygen to the brain is what I want to blame anyway. And, um, you know, I was real angry. So, you know, I feel like today that I've got a set another chance at life. I can't say second because I've probably lived nine lives. I'm like Morris the cat. I should have died many a times, but God had other plans. And uh, so that's the way it is. I grew up out in Marion County, Kentucky, where the men were men and the women were too. And... Uh, <laughs> And that's the truth. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I grew up in a bar rocking pool balls and picking up beer bottles at age five. And, um, you know, my childhood was not as bad as I portrayed it to be when I was drinking. I'll just put it that way. Uh, I needed an excuse to use, so I had to blame my childhood. I didn't know that when I got into Alcoholics Anonymous and there were people here that said the only problem in their childhood was they were loved too much. I wanted to puke, you know, because I did not understand that love too much. Because I, I, there wasn't a person alive that could give me the love that I needed. You could never love me enough, no matter how hard you tried. Every relationship I was in, you could never love me enough because I didn't love me. There was so much self-loathing in me. And it just blows me away to be in a room full of women. <laughs> I hated you people, I swear, women especially. I loved men, and I loved microphones when I was drinking, too, but right now that thing is scary. <laughs> Woo! I said, you know, celebrating miracles, one of them is me being up at 8 o'clock in the morning with makeup on, you know? Yeah, progress, not perfection. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I grew up, uh, at, like I said, out in Marion County, and uh, my dad bootlegged whiskey, and I knew when people pulled up like this and went like this, I knew to run out back and get them a half a pint of whiskey. And they would take that thing, and they'd pop it, and they'd turn that thing, and they'd shake, and they'd get it halfway down them, and then calm down. The next thing you know, it's laughter, you know. And uh, my whole life I hid behind laughter, so I didn't have to feel what I was really feeling. You know, if I could make you laugh, then I could laugh, and I wouldn't have to feel what I was really feeling. And I learned that a lot. 
You know, you would think seeing what I've seen, all the puke that I had to clean up from people drinking and all the violence that I've seen from alcoholism in my own family and um, all the men cheating on the women and the women cheating on the men and, um, you know, everything that, that I would just do something totally different. But I couldn't wait to grow up and be just like them. <laughs> you know, I remember I, I was raised Catholic, you know, and I'm not here to ridicule anybody's religion, but I will say I'm a recovering Catholic. Um, but I do believe we have a disease of perception because my sister went to the same Catholic school and she got a loving, forgiving father out of it. I got one that I was scared to death of. You know, if I ate meat on Friday, I was going to hell. You know, uh, I had sex out of marriage, I was going to hell. And I got molested when I was a little girl. Um, and so at five years old, I believed that I was going to hell. You know, I did not know that, you know... I was carrying around stuff for years that didn't belong to me. It belonged to someone else's shoulders. You know, um, I do know that victims never recover, but I do know that I had to deal with a lot of that pain and put it back on the person's shoulders that it belonged to. It wasn't mine to carry anymore. And, uh, you know, I'm truly grateful for that. Um, I know we're all victims of victims. You know, all I could ever think about um, in my drinking was my pain. Me, me, me. I never thought maybe my parents might have went through pain in their childhood. You know, um, I didn't care. You know, it just, I needed an excuse to use. But anyway, my childhood, I used food as an anesthetic to block a lot of the numbness of the pain, you know, and I would eat and eat and eat, and I would be full and eat some more. You know, I had an empty hole inside of me that I didn't know how to feel. Best way I explain myself is that uh, I felt broken my whole life like Humpty Dumpty. He fell off that wall and, and there wasn't going to be enough super glue to put me together. There wouldn't be enough medication to put me together. There wouldn't be enough people in AA to help me. There wouldn't be enough people in Al-Anon that could help me. And that's just not true. Because you people finally had me to look inside myself and see the beautiful woman that's in there. And I never knew she was in there because I tried to cover her up. And how I covered her up was acting out. You know, I acted out, and, um, you know, a lot of people was worried about me coming up here speaking because uh, when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, my profanity was really, really bad. <laughs> That's putting it lightly, in it? <laughs> but today I know that that was a defense to keep you away from me. If I cussed like a sailor and acted like a crazy person, you stayed out here and you didn't get close, and then you couldn't hurt me. You know, and when they told me they was going to restore me to sanity, I didn't want to be restored to sanity because my whole identity, my whole life had been crazy. You know, she's crazy. She's insane. You know, she's crazy. So, you know, I didn't really know if I wanted what y'all had. Um, I knew I wanted the love that you gave, but I didn't want to really do the work that you, that you do. But anyway, you know, uh, being a Catholic, I could always drink. We had whiskey and eggnog every Christmas. Uh, I come from two different personality of families. Uh, my mom's mom had 12, 12, Shirley, 12 kids, wasn't it? Where's Shirley? 13, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, okay, 13, Uncle Albert. Yeah, um, 13, and my dad's side had nine, and we got rednecks on this side, and we got cocktail drinkers on this side. <laughs> you know, um, dad's family drank straight out of the fifth, you know. And the, the mom's side of the family drank cocktails with her ice. <laughs> but they still all ended up drunk. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I mean, not all of them, but, you know, I, what I seen, they was having a ball. I thought it was fun. <laughs> um, anyway, you know, um, I, uh, like I said, I ate food as a child as my anesthetic. And, um, you know, I don't never remember getting drunk or anything when I was a child. You know, I remember, you know, I loved the whiskey. And, uh, you know, we never went to the doctor for our codes. It was always whiskey, sugar, and lemon that you would get for your codes. And I coughed a lot. <laughs> you know, we always had whiskey in the refrigerator. And I'd take a whole tablespoon of sugar and pour whiskey on it and then eat it. You know, and I just loved that. And, uh, um, you know, like I said, uh, you know, grade school was one big blur. Marion County was wild. Um, you know, it's known for the cornbread mafia. And, uh, 
I guess if I'd have stayed out there, I'd have probably been in it. But, you know, the only difference between me and a lot of them is they got caught and I didn't. You know, and that's just the way it is, you know. Um, anyway, I guess God will take over here in a minute, won't he? I'm <laughs> nervous wreck. Barb Buren back out there said, well, they won't be able to see your knees knocking. I said, oh, my butt shaking because I'm vibrating up here, I'm telling you. Oh, Lord, God's shaking the truth out of me. But they told me that I'm doing okay if I'm still nervous because, uh, you know, when I quit getting nervous, then ego's taking over. So that's a good thing, you know. I'm trying to let God talk. I always go pee and pray, and that's exactly what I did. You know, a lot of people want to worry about the germicides and washing their little hands and stuff. And I used to puke in them toilets every day. And now it's like, oh, let me get a sanitizer. You know, it's like, you know, I'm still alive and I didn't ever have sanitizer, you know. I drank out of water hoses and I didn't die. And I hugged people that had sores on them and I'm not dead, you know. What's that got to do with alcoholism? Nothing, but I'm telling you anyway. You know, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, I was always fat when I was a little girl, and I didn't, now when I look back at the pictures, I wasn't fat, I was beautiful, um, but I was always called Bertha Butt and Earthquake and Wide Wide Dixie Highway, and my dad and mom's nickname for me was Arnold the Pig off of Green Acres, and you know, I always thought, see, this is our perception, I always thought it was because I was fat. And it wasn't. It was because I snorted. When I laugh, I go, <laughs> you know. But see, I thought it was because I was fat, and they're calling me fat. And I really believed that if I could get skinny enough, that people would love me. And when I got to this program, y'all told me happiness is an inside job. It starts on the inside. You can't start on the outside. Everybody wants to start on the outside, you know. And uh, thank God I finally heard that that I, I was able to get in there. But anyway, uh, grade school was one big blur, a lot of violence in our home, a uh, lot of, um, uh, you know, my dad, he, uh, six foot four, 385-pound man, and I was scared to death of him. You know, I, I suffer from a little bit of PTSD some times a day when I see somebody that reminds me of my dad. Uh, when they walk in the room, it's like a panic goes over me, and I... I get afraid, you know, the speaker last night, Kate, she was wonderful, and, you know, she talked about that, I don't want to walk in my home and be afraid anymore, you know, so, you know, I still have some changing to do in my life today, and I know that, and that was awareness key for me last night, is there is more change, you know. Biggest word in the program, it's the one I hate the most, it's called continue, you know. <laughs> Continue to work the steps, continue to go to meetings, continue to pray, continue to call your sponsor, continue. I want to get done. You know, it don't work that way. When I get done, I'm at sick at home thinking I hate all y'all, you know, and I love every one of you, but, you know, it's just my thinking, you know, that they think they're better than me or they're, you know, and it's my stuff. It's not y'all's because y'all have never portrayed that to me. But anyway, uh, you know, high school was, we moved to Louisville when I was, 13, 14, 15 years old, and I was absolutely frightened to death to move to Louisville because all I'd seen on the news and everything was the busing and all that stuff. And, and I was scared because out in the country, everybody knew me, and everybody's dad came to our bar. And, you know, it was just like I was, you know, always, I told somebody yesterday, I said, well, you know, I, I think it was you, yeah. I, I said, I didn't start lying when I started drinking. I started lying when I started talking, you know. <laughs> and I've had to stand up here at the podium and go, oops, that was a lie. You know, because I don't know the truth from the false sometimes, you know, and, and it's okay, you know. But uh, I told so many of them lies when I was out there that I could make few believe it, and that therefore I could believe it and then go on with it, you know. But uh, anyway, I moved to Louisville, started going to Seneca High School, and I started drinking real heavy because I went to a, a smoking area crowd. I put that leather jacket on, and I put that size on, and I used my size as a bully technique, you know. And, uh, and I, I tried to scare people. That way, you know, they wouldn't hurt me. I don't know. I was scared to death, to be honest, but I would never admit it. I'd say I wasn't scared of nothing. I remember when I got in the program, they told me to write a fears list. I'm like, I ain't scared of nothing. I was scared of a lot of things, and I just didn't know it, you know, wouldn't admit it. But anyway, uh, high school um, was one big blur, and, you know, uh, they passed me to get me out of their classes, you know, and... Uh, um, I drank all the time, and I spent more time in the hallways than I ever did in the classroom. I was always in trouble, um, class clown, 
everything. But anyway, get out of high school, and um, here we go, falling in love. I don't know if y'all have done that, but I've done it many a time. And, and when I fall in love, I fall in love all over myself. There ain't an ounce of me that don't fall in love. And jealous, controlling, ooh, if my man looks at another woman, I don't care what she looks like. If he looks at her, he wants her over me. That's how low I felt about myself. Had nothing to do with them. It was my self-worth that suffered. Today, I know if a woman can take my man away from me, he's not worth having. And God's got somebody better for me. You know. But you couldn't have told me that when I got here. You know. Um, anyway, um, high school was one big blur. And uh, like I said, I fell in love. Then one night stands were real in love. But, uh, you know, and that's the part I played in being uh, abused as a child is, uh, you know, um, is continuing in on into my adult life. It's continuing to abuse myself. Nobody uh, sexually abused me after 15 years old but me, you know, and uh, I put myself in the positions to be abused, you know. And, and when I get to this program and you all tell me, if you don't want to be a doormat, you've got to get off the floor, you know. And, uh, woo, yeah, it's right. <laughs> I didn't like that stuff. You know, there's solutions to my problems. Wow. Anyway, um, drinking coffee, chasing it with water. I'm still nervous. <laughs> Some habits never die. <sighs> Thank God. Anyway, um, high school was one big blur, and then I fell in love with my, my first man, or second man, I don't remember, third, I don't know. Somewhere around in there. And I, uh, anyway, I got pregnant. And uh, my first child. And uh, I had slept with two men in one week. You know, I'm not up here to do a fifth step, but this is just part of my story. And, uh, you know, I see it on Mari Povich and all that stuff all the time now. But back then, I thought I was the worst person that walked the face of this earth because I had sex mixed up with love. See, today I know God is love and sex is sex. But sex is a God-given gift neither to be used despisingly or loathingly, and that means I don't hurt myself or others with it, you know. And uh, I didn't never know what that was, you know. I always thought sex was love, and I thought intimacy was sex, and intimacy is trust. Do you trust the person that you're opening yourself up to, you know. And uh, I've learned a lot since I've been in here, and I'm grateful that I've been teachable, you know. The prayer she said last night is one of my favoritest prayers, is God help me. Forget everything I think I know so I can remain teachable. Because if I don't, I'll die. I will die. But anyway, um, I got pregnant with my first child. And uh, I, I was going to be the best mother in the world. I was going to be nothing like my mom or dad. You know, I had great intentions. And, um, you know, but I had a secret that I didn't know who her father was. And, you know, I had a one-night stand with a man, and then I had a man that I'd been in a relationship with for a while. But we had split up for one day, so I went out with that guy that night, and me and him got back together the next day, so I didn't have to tell him about it because we split up, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but he better tell me where he was at and what he was doing and who he was with, and, you know. Anyway, um, I got pregnant, and I had that little girl, and uh, she was six pounds, nine and a half ounces, she was born with blonde hair and blue eyes. And I thought I had felt love before in my life. But I had never felt love until they placed that little girl in my arms. And uh, after they did that, I was like, man, I don't deserve this. And, uh, you know, and then I started thinking these thoughts like, well, if she really knows what happened and that I don't know who her father is, then she's going to hate me anyway, so I'm going to push her away, you know. Before she has a chance to reject me, I'll reject her. And that's what I did to a lot of people in my life, was rejected a lot of people. I had walls up against people that was trying to love me, but I wouldn't let them because, you know, if they really knew me, they wouldn't love me anyway, you know. And um, anyway, she was born, and my mom took her away from me. And uh, honestly, I was working two jobs. I was working Walgreens restaurant during the day and, and uh, a bar at night. And I started doing this little white stuff, this powdery substance that helps you go fast. You know, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm moving on. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't have no destination, but I'm getting there fast, you know. And um, <clears throat> I really believed that I was doing this extra substance with my alcohol 
so I could work two jobs. And what the truth was is I was having to work two jobs to be able to do the substitute, but you couldn't tell me that. And uh, so um, my mom took her away from me, and um, I proceeded to tell my mom, you will not raise her like you raised me. You know, uh, it's your fault I like I am. And uh, if you had got me away from the abuse in the home, I wouldn't be like I was. I was real good at guilting and manipulating my mother. And my mother, every time, she only did what she knew to do, and that was get the checkbook out. And she'd write a check and hand it to me to get a place to live so I didn't have to be around my dad because I hated my dad. When I got to this program, I told Shorty. He just passed away. He was my first sponsor. And I told Shorty, I said, I hated, I hate that man. And there's nothing you can do to change that. I will hate him till the day I die. And he'd say, you keep coming back and that'll change. And I'd say, no, you don't understand. That will never change. And um, it changed because I changed. And I found out that I never hated my dad. I hated his actions. I hated his disease of alcoholism. But I loved my daddy. And um, it took me... 30 years old in this program to lay in daddy's arms and be his little girl. And it started with me um, asking him for forgiveness for me character assassinating him my whole life and blaming him for my actions. Because in this program, y'all taught me, life is 10% of what happens to you, but 90% is how you react to it. So 90%'s on me, you know, and uh, thank God for that. Um, I had a da my daughter that uh, when I got sober, she was eight years old, and uh, you know she started doing some things after I found, after I told her who her father was because I'd lied to her for many years about that, and uh, working the steps with some other women helped me tell the truth, and I was able to go to her and tell the truth, you know, and uh, I told her who her father was, and she started acting out, you know, so I was able to sit across from her in a counseling session and let her tell me everything I'd ever done to her. And I didn't say, but that ain't the way it was. I didn't say, you shouldn't feel that way. I said, I apologize that happened to you. Because I'm an alcoholic. The number one lie we tell ourselves is we are not hurting no one but your, ourselves. Won't y'all leave me alone? And I did not realize that I was hurting everybody that loved me. I did not realize how bad I hurt my parents until I became a parent. And now I'm a parent. And it's hard. It really is to watch your kids hurt themselves. It's hard. But there you go. You've got to turn them back over. You know. You've got to be reminded of that. Because I've got a built-in forgetter. I still think I'm God sometimes. I'm going to jerk her up and make her quit doing what she's doing. And it's like, leave her alone. You know, you pour out that one. Or you, you try to keep her from getting that one. That might be the one she needs to hit her bottom. You know. And now I know what my mother went through um, all the times. But, you know, when uh, my mom took my daughter away from me, I went into Our Lady of Peace for the first time. And uh, I kind of sort of liked Our Lady of Peace. Well, no, I went in there another time when I was a senior in high school because I couldn't quit crying over that man. <laughs> you know, I love him so much I'm willing to die for him. I love you so much I'll die for you. <laughs> and when that don't work, then I want to kill him, <laughs> you know. I don't know about y'all, but I love my men so much, I'd shoot at them hollering, I love you, mother! I love you! And I'd break out the nine millimeters, you know. <laughs> Hop on their car hood, you know. Throw their shit out and then beg them to stay, you know. We don't know what we want. I think y'all laughing because y'all were late. <laughs> y'all resemble that remark, don't you? I'm glad I ain't the only one. <laughs> But anyway, I don't know. Um, relationships are a trip. Um, I haven't rode on a car hood in 18 years. <laughs> Sometimes I miss that, you know. That was one thing about getting sober. I said, damn, I miss being bad. You know, some days I just want to run down the road and pull my shirt up, you know, or do something, you know. I don't want to be goody all the time, you know. And the good thing is, is I don't have to be good all the time, you know. There is a, there isn't, it isn't always good or bad. Sometimes there just is, 
you know, everybody always told me it was black or white. Well, there is a gray area in my life today, you know, and I don't have to let anybody else put their shame on me. Shame is what other people put on you. Guilt says I made a mistake. Shame says I am a mistake. And y'all told me I'm not a mistake because God don't make no junk. You know, and I was like, wow, really? You know, I can make mistakes and, and still belong. That's what I told somebody not long ago. They was mad at me because I was doing something they didn't agree with in AA. And I was like, I earned my seat in Alcoholics Anonymous and y'all can't kick me out. Nah, 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 <laughs> I said, I earned my seat in AA by drinking alcohol, not drinking water. You know, and y'all cannot take my seat, you know. You could take a lot of things from me in my life. You can take my kids. You can take my home. You can take a lot of things. But you cannot take my sobriety or my God. You know, people sit back. People sit back and say, you know, sometimes you hear them, I don't want what she's got. I don't want what he's got. Why well, ain't giving it to you anyway? You know, I don't even want what I got sometimes, but I got what I got. You know, and I'm grateful that I do have what I have today. You know, I'm crazy and I know it. A lot of people are crazy and don't. You know, um, anyway, you know, I came in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I went into Our Lady Peace the first time, they had me higher in there than I was ever on the street. I found a doctor in there that uh, listened to my victim role, and he got a prescription pad out, and he started thinking, pills was going to be the answer, you know, so I like that, and, um, but I know today that pills stuffed it for me, just like alcohol did, and I didn't have to deal, I, I didn't get to deal with it, you know, today I get to deal with it, the feelings, you know, sometimes I don't like to get to clean house, or get to do this work, or get to Whatever I get to do, but I get to do a lot of things. I don't got to do anything anymore. And, and the getting to is, makes it a whole lot easier. I get to clean a house. You know how many people are homeless that would love to get to clean a home? You know, Phil always called me, even in the midst of my major storms. And he'd say, Lori Roby, you ain't got no room for nothing but gratitude on your plate. And I'm thinking, ooh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I got to go. Somebody's knocking at the door. <laughs> So many people knocked at the door and I was lying. I'm sorry, Phil. <laughs> I do that a lot. Somebody's knocking at the door. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> but I do got a picture of Jesus hanging in my house and it's knocking at the door. And today I know that's the picture that saved my life because it was hanging in my house when I was in the projects. And I'd look at that. And I'd say, Jesus, help me at least crack the door. I'm scared of you. And this picture that I have is of Jesus knocking at the door. There's no door handle. He can't open it and come in. You've got to open it and let him in. And I was like, I just say, please help me just crack it. Well, I, can't, I knew I couldn't swing it wide open because I was scared to death of him. I was afraid that I was going to run around the airport telling you're saved and dropping flowers and <laughs> Jesus loves you and, you know, and all that stuff. And I just knew that wasn't me, you know. I mean... It's just not my calling, you know. It's just not my calling. You know, I've tried that. I tried to go to church after I got sober, and, and I still go to church with an open mind to spend that hour with my higher power from time to time. But uh, my church is Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love that church, you know. And uh, anyway, uh, I went in there uh, the second time, and my mom had taken my daughter away from me, and uh, they called my mom and my dad. And they told him, my dad was in a wheelchair. He had a wreck uh, when I was a senior and broke his neck and severed his spinal cord. And he was paralyzed from his neck down. And as selfish and self-centered as I was, I said, good. Because I knew he couldn't hurt me anymore. So you know what I did? I set out to hurt him. See, because hurt people hurt people. And I don't know about y'all, but you can say I forgive them. <laughs> I stick mine on the mantle. <laughs> I'll get you. Revenge. I always had to get that revenge. Revenge isn't always sweet. Because when I get revenge on somebody, I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. So I've got to let vengeance be God's, and that's tough. When I got this program, that, the words that scared me the most, and I'm telling you the truth, it wasn't God help me or anything like that. It was cease fighting anyone or anything, even alcohol. I can't cease fighting. I fought my whole life. I swung first and asked questions later, you know. 
I've probably been in about six fights since I've been sober. <laughs> I used to get six a week, you know, so I mean progress, not perfection. <laughs> I got in a fight in an AA meeting. Girl sit beside my man. You believe that? Like we own somebody. <laughs> we don't own them. My men would always say, what do you want me to do? Look at the ground? Yep. <laughs> and they'd do it. They had to be sicker than me, you know? Anyway, I don't know. I've been with the same man now for 11 years. You know, and before I found recovery, I didn't, couldn't imagine 11 days with the same man. <laughs> you know? So, I'm grateful that I've learned to stay and deal, not always run. You know, I've got a good man in my life today that helped me. He's got issues. We all got issues. My issues got issues. But, you know, <laughs> it's okay. Single mother, three kids, two grandbabies. Um, anyway, I uh, went through Our Lady of Peace that time. And, uh, you know, they reached inside of me and grabbed out some truth out of me that I never thought I'd tell anybody. Because I told my mother, and she didn't believe me. I was the family splitter upper. And, uh, you know, I hated my mom, too. And I hate to admit that. But I'm here to tell the truth so I can help somebody and help myself. And I hated my mom because I didn't understand why she would stay in the abuse. You know, and uh, I got an Alan on, and they told me it's not because we love them so much. It's for fear of not being able to make it on our own and fear... You know, we're going to stay for the kids and all. And, and I'd hear, hear people say that when we were little, you know. Well, we're going to stay together for the kids. And I'd think, you know, we, we'd be better off if y'all split up. You know, we get quality time with each of you, you know, instead of the craziness. But, you know, I never understood my mother until I got in those relationships I couldn't get out of, you know, and, and didn't know how to. Didn't know I was worthy of more, you know. Uh, not to ridicule anybody, because today I really try not to look down on anybody except to help them up. But anyhow, I um, went into this treatment center, and uh, I started going to these silly little meetings. And there was a lot of good-looking men here. I'm sorry if it was your husband. But uh, <laughs> I went and sat with the, the men, you know. I'm, I'm sorry I did, because uh, I hated women. You know why? Because I was one. Uh, I, I knew women could be just as dictatious and backstabbing as I was. Um, I knew y'all wanted what I had. I knew you wanted my man, my looks. I knew y'all wanted everything I had. Guess what? When I inventoried it, I didn't even want what I had. <laughs> Why would y'all want it? <laughs> but, you know, in our magic magnifying minds, we believe this, you know. And uh, that's just the truth. But anyway, um. You know, sobriety's been a journey for me. I, I, I'm not a, a, a first-timer. Um, I'm a retread because I had to do it my way. You know, Shorty always, at my first birth, uh, well, my first birthday, uh, not my token. My token was in 85, September 18th of 1985 was my first token. But uh, when I got a token in 90, uh, uh, one year in 94, Shorty told me that he was going to put, I did it my way on, on my headstone. And uh, because I did try to do it my way all the time, and I still do sometimes, but I do know today that a life run on self-will can hardly be a success. And there's always an action before there's a feeling. If I'm feeling guilty, it's because of an action that I've taken. You know, and uh, thank God I don't get a, y'all don't get to throw me out because of my actions, but I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. And so I'm the only one who can change it. You know, they get, used to give out stickers that says you're looking at the problem and you hang them on your mirror. And I didn't understand that for a long time. But thank God I am the problem because I can't change you. You know, but I can change myself and the way I act, you know. And the way I react. React is always the biggest one. Hardest thing for me in uh, recovery is, uh, is um, replacing the lies with the truth. You know, um, that's been the hardest one. But anyhow, um, went through treatment and uh, started going to these silly little meetings on the buses and everything. And I started putting that makeup on and them short skirts and them high heels and go sit with the men, you know. And I'd have these little old ladies come on and say, honey, you need to hug five women tonight. I'm like, you hugging bitches. I ain't touching them. God forgive my mouth. Progress, not perfection. But anyway, um, I could not. I could not 
I did everything, but I could not pray, and I could not hang with women. But I went to a lot of meetings, and I was able to stay sober for 14 and a half months that way. But, you know, I, I kept going out to the bar drinking Pepsi out of a shot glass while everybody else was drinking whiskey and saying, I'm sober. I still wasn't being a mother to my daughter. I still wasn't being any kind of accountability of responsibility, the big R and R word. My sponsor had me talk on R and R one time, and I said, oh, we're going to talk about rest and relaxation? She said, no, we're going to talk about responsibility and reliability. I said, well, you've got the wrong speaker, because I don't know nothing about that stuff. I've run from that word, them two words my whole life. Oh, Linda, rest her peace, rest in peace. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> went through this um, 14 and a half months. I'm going to get through it real quick. I'm going to get sober. You know, I uh, came in these rooms, and I sit, and I said, I've never done that. I've never done that. You know, I heard Virgil S. talk when I first got sober. Anybody that knows Virgil, if you don't, then you need to get to know him. Ooh. Anyway, when he talked, I thought, he needs to be in here. He needs to be under the prison, matter of fact. I don't know why he's standing up here bragging about all the things he done. And that's what I thought. You know, I thought people were standing up here bragging about it. They, he wasn't. He was sharing his experience, strength, and hope of how sick he really was. And most people cover up how sick they really are. And I can't get no better until I admit how sick I really am. I can't come in with an AA face and say everything's all right when I'm beating my kids at home. And I did that in sobriety, and I'm not proud of it. But I got 14 and a half months, I got nine months, I got another nine months, I got six months, I got three months, and I got three weeks, and I said, screw Alcoholics Anonymous, it's not going to work for me. And what the truth was is I wasn't going to work for it. And, you know, I uh, didn't want to put pad to paper. I didn't want to swallow some big chunks of truth about myself. I didn't want to quit finger pointing back to my childhood, you know. If I forgive them people, I lose my excuse to you, so I'll be damned if I'm going to forgive them. Today I know unforgiveness is an acid that will destroy its container. If I don't forgive you, it's going to destroy me. You know, if my kids, I tell them, if you don't forgive me, it's going to destroy you. It's going to hurt me, but it's going to destroy you. My oldest daughter, I told her, your problems have my name written all over them. But the solution has your name because I can't change my past. If I could, I would. If I knew what I know now, I hope and pray to God I'd be smart enough to do it different. Because I did not want to put my kids through what I put them through. I wanted to be a good mother. I had every intention of the world of being a good mother. The mother that always said, that had never happened to my kid. I'll kill somebody if that happens to my kid. Guess what had happened to my kid? While I was sitting on a bar stool, one mile away from my home, my oldest daughter was being raped by five people. I thought all she needed was the phone number to the bar. She needed her mama there with her. But I thought all she needed was the phone number. I didn't find out about this, and I have permission to tell this, or I wouldn't tell it, because it is her story. But I thought all she needed was the phone number to the bar. And she couldn't tell her alcoholic, raging mother that she had been raped for fear that I would have whooped her for being outside. And I probably would have, you know. And I didn't find out about that until two years in recovery. Well, um, I had another daughter before I got sober. She was born November, I mean, December. My first child was born November 2nd, 1984. My second child was born December the 1st, 1992. And the whole year of my pregnancy, I drank. I couldn't stop drinking. My daughter has a learning disability, but she's beautiful. And she's got a God, and it ain't me. And I just got to keep praying for her, that she gets to heal me for her heart, that she desires and she deserves. And that's all I will say about that. My daughter's beautiful. She's named after her grandma, Sarah Elizabeth. But anyway, um, I have a lot of guilt with that, that I drank, you know. And uh, paper bag drunks would walk by me and say, don't she know she's pregnant? Hell yeah, I knew I was pregnant. The only way I could face another day was to get up. And the guilt, shame, and remorse from the night before was to drink one more just to calm the shakes. And then I'm going to clean my house, and I'm going to get it. Okay, see, September 1st, 1993, I, I come to, 
And my nine-month-old baby had a rash from her ass all the way down to her ankles. My eight-year-old had body lice and head lice. We was living in the projects paying $2 a month rent. And I was late with that. I had to pay a $20 late fee. And um, I remember looking in the mirror saying, God, please help me straighten up and take care of these kids or give them to somebody that deserves them. And I went to a meeting that night. I called my mom and I said, Mom, because Mom was started Al-Anon back when I went into treatment the first time. And, oh, I hated you people. <laughs> I called Mom and said, he left and the electric's turned off and I ain't got no food and the kids are hungry, Mom. And she'd say, I love you, honey, but I can't help you. You know where the help is. And she'd hang up. Now being a mom, I know how hard that was. But Al-Anon saved my life because she quit enabling me. She quit loving me six foot under. She was loving me to death by paying for my consequences. And thank God she quit because you people helped her. And she loved me enough to trust me with God and to let me go. Because, see, I was taking her money and drinking and drugging with it anyway. It really wasn't for what I was telling her it was for. But she got smarter. And the reason she got smarter is because she worked through her guilt anymore, and that guilt didn't work no more. See, my sponsor told me guilt's like a loaf of bread. You buy it. If you don't buy it, you don't own it. So don't let nobody shame on you today. And don't shame on yourself, and don't should all over yourself. Isn't that what they say? I shoulda, shoulda, shoulda. No, you shouldn't have. You shoulda, you woulda. That's the way I look at it today. Nothing happens in God's world by mistake. But anyway... I crawled into Alcoholics Anonymous and I listened as a willing as, and became willing as the dying could be because I was dying. Went to a meeting at Wednesday night St. Bernard's group. Never forget it. Well, I, I won't forget that night. I, honestly, I don't remember it other than Mom taking me and dropping me off there. And I remember him saying, uh, glad you're back. You know, I thought they was going to say them smart-ass things like, how much more fun can you stand? And don't get no better, does it? And thanks for drinking for me. You know, it's like... I'm waved. <laughs> yeah, okay. Y'all know what I did. Anyway, um, I, uh, all I know is I went up to Phil Mudd's home group in Heights Point, and I'm sorry I said your name, but um, went up there and I started puking. Because, see, I'd done been through treatment like eight times in the 80s because I was always looking for the easier, softer way. And, uh, you know, they'd always give me Librium to bring me down slowly and all this. And this time I didn't want to go into a treatment center. I wanted to see what this stuff was doing to me. So I went to meetings and I shook. And I got up here to that Hikes Point group. It was an 8.30 at night meeting. And I started puking. You know, and they didn't look at me and say, Eee, get away from her. They held my hand. They cleaned my puke up. And they said, keep coming back. We need you. Keep coming back. You know what they said to me that meant more to me than anything? Is that you're worth it. You're worth staying sober for. Not your mama. Not your daddy. Not your sister. Not your brother. You're worth staying sober before. I didn't think I was worth nothing. You know, I knew my kids didn't deserve to live like that. But I didn't know that I didn't deserve to live like that either. I was on a self-destructive punishing path. Because that's the, what I thought I deserved. Because if you really knew who I was and what I've done. Well... You know, I got in uh, recovery, and I'm telling you what, life got really good. First three years of my sobriety was spent in the projects. And I would call my sponsor and complain about it, and she'd say, you can't get any more until you're grateful for what you already got. <laughs> they always got an answer, don't they? <laughs> so I started thanking God for the projects. <laughs> I started cleaning it up and putting plants in it and candles and food. <laughs> Kids had food. You know, my first year of sobriety was just truly wonderful. Uh, my daughter got Most Improved Student over Jefferson County Award. She got the Krista McAuliffe Rising Star Award. She was on 32 News. She wrote a story about my alcoholism, and she talked about how... Um, her, her mother's illness um, affected her. How I would say I would be gone for two or three hours and I'd be gone for two or three days. And how she would wait up staring out the window for me for all them days, wondering if I was dead or alive. You know, and uh, at the end of the book, it, she talked about, um, 
she wanted to thank everybody in Alcoholics Anonymous for loving her mother so she could love, so I could love them and be a mother. And, uh, man, what a blessing. So anyway, uh, three years sober. Oh, yeah, I got pregnant in sobriety, too. I didn't know you could do that. Uh, <laughs> I got pregnant in sobriety, and uh, I thought you had to be drunk to get pregnant, but you don't. I finally figured out what was causing it, so I got my tubes tied. <laughs> Easier, softer solution. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I have my son, though, you know. Uh, he's my sober baby. And, you know, I was scared to death to come into an AA meeting and raise my hand and tell y'all I was pregnant for fear y'all was going to go, Because that's what my grandma did because she didn't know any better. My grandma said, what are you going to do, stay single and teach all your kids to? Yeah, probably. You know, probably. And I came in and I raised my hand and I said, I'm pregnant. And y'all said, get on a recovery, baby. And I'm like, where'd y'all come from? <laughs> you mean I'm not going to go to hell because I'm going to have another kid single? You know, makes it harder on the kids. I ain't going to lie about that. But I know they got a daddy today. We all got a daddy. And it's the ultimate daddy. And my daddy owns it all, and if he wants me to have it, I'm going to have it. He'll make a way, won't he, Phil? Long way from the projects, ain't it, daddy? Mm. I was a dead woman walking around. You know, they said you got three places you can go. Jail's institution or death. Doesn't been to jail. Didn't like that place. Black girl said, can I have your banana? I said, you can have the whole damn tray. Just give me the Kool-Aid. She said, calm down, white girl. I've been in here for four months. I said, you can stay for four more. My ass wants out of here, and I was calling everybody in the AA. Get me out of jail. Nope, we'll see you in a meeting when you get out the Oak Lake. And I'm like, you won't see me at no damn meeting. <laughs> they see me at a meeting. I ain't got nowhere else to go, you know. But anyway, uh, three years sober, uh, God made a way for my mom, and uh, Phil helped me get a home. A beautiful brick home. I've been in it for 15 years. Truly blessed. Um, I remember my mom called and she said, we want to help you do this. We want to help you get out of the projects because somebody got shot right on my front porch. And uh, I told her no. And I called Wanda at the time, which is my sponsor. And uh, I said, she said, you've been praying for an answer and God's given you one and you're saying no to it. I said, but Mom helped me so much when I was drinking. She said, she sees what you're doing now, and she wants to help you now. And she wants to help her grandbabies, you know. And, she, and they told me they wouldn't go buy it for me, but they would help me. And they have helped me, and I'm blessed for that. Um, I remember when I first got sober, I wanted a Harley. <laughs> that was my main ambition in life, was to get a Harley by the time I was a year sober. Guess what? Ain't happening. If you've got any kind of sponsors. He said, what are you going to do, raise them kids on a Harley? You going to feed them a Harley? Do you think you might need to get a home first? Car first? With your own tags and insurance, not somebody else's? <laughs> I used to drive T-Birds around with Grand Prix tags and get pulled over and flash the cop and get out of it. Can't do that no more. They get cameras on them, so I'm glad I'm sober. <laughs> so grateful I'm sober today. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, life got really good. I was able to go to every Nashville conference there was. I was able to celebrate a lot of my sobrieties down there because they had it on Labor Day weekend and my sobriety date September 1st. And I was able to get medallions down in front of all them people. I was able to go to uh, 14,000 recovering alcoholics in Akron and stand and hold hands and say to our Father, if you don't get God bumps off that, you're not going to get God bumps off nothing. You ain't listening. Whew, I got them right now. They're all over me. Um, I was, um, when I was six years sober, my mom got up and gave me a medallion, and she thanked everybody in AA for doing what she couldn't do for me. And, because uh, she wanted to do it for me, but she couldn't. And, uh, she gave me my six-year medallion, and my daughter was in every one of my birthdays. And, uh, that Friday, uh, after my six-year, um, or that next Wednesday, I, my home group was a Wednesday night then, and that next Wednesday night, the next Wednesday I went, uh, I, I, uh, I, I call it being called by the Holy Spirit, and uh, I went home and I wrote my daughter a letter, 
uh, because she was asleep, I wanted to go home and talk to her. And I went home and I wrote her a letter. And I gave it to her the next morning. And she said, uh, she came in and she woke me up and she said, Mom, she said, I need to move your car. And I said, all right, Christina. I said, but don't take it, don't, don't drive it out in the road. You know that. Just move it over. She's like, all right. I said, by the way, I wrote you this letter last night. And she said, oh, okay. So she took it out and she read it to her boyfriend. And uh, she came back in, and you know how teenagers are. <laughs> they won't kiss you in the mouth or anything like that when they become a teenager, you know, your mom. But she woke me up, and she kissed me in the mouth, and she told me that, that I was a good mom and that she loved me. And she kissed me on my lips. And that afternoon, um, her boyfriend picked her up from school. She was getting ready to get on the bus, and... and um, he picked her up from school, and uh, he was driving fast, and he came around a curb, and he had a truck head-on. And uh, my daughter died of a massive head injury. And um, I was crippled. I was absolutely, I felt like I got kicked to the curb. You know, I said, what an order, I can't go through with this. You know, um... But people in Alcoholics Anonymous just gathered around me. There was over 800 people at her funeral. Phil remembers it. Phil was there. And uh, if there's such a thing as a beautiful funeral, my daughter had it. And uh, she also had a baby before she died. I forgot to tell you about. And my granddaughter's name's Leanne Michelle. And she'll be 13, November 16th. She was 10 months old when her mama died. And, you know, when she got pregnant, she was young. She was 14 years old. And I didn't have to downgrade her or look down on her. The only thing I said when I found out that she was pregnant, you know, Christina, with love in your heart, there's nothing we can get through. And God is love. And I know what she did. She grew up in an alcoholic home without a father. And she met a guy in AA, one of them little dances. It ain't no AA dance. There ain't no such thing. There's AA meetings, and then there's dances that clubs have. I got told that, and that's the truth. <laughs> got to get it right. Anyway, um, she met him, and she fell in love. Well, you know, they had a baby, and, and uh, my granddaughter's beautiful. My sister and brother-in-law's raising her. I have custody of her, but they're raising her, and she's an honor roll student at St. Bernard's, and she's doing really, really wonderful. She's cheerleading volleyball, but she's talking a lot about her mom right now, and it's real you know, she'd crawl up in my lap at Christmas time, and she'd say, My mama only got to have me when I was a baby. Why, Nanny? I don't have no answers for it. I tell her that's the stuff that's got to go in the God box. And they say every tear on earth is going to be a giggle in heaven. I said, They're going to think I'm doing acid when I get there. Because <laughs> for many years I couldn't cry. And today sometimes I can't stop crying. But I'm grateful that I can cry because tears are a pressure relief valve to the heart. And whoever told you it ain't okay to cry lied to you. The only way you're ever going to experience joy and happiness is to get the garbage out first, and then the joy gets to come. But um, after that, um, my house burnt, caught on fire. I had a dryer that I left on during the meeting, and I thought this old lady that I took care of was crazy because she'd always tell me to turn her dryer off. I'm like, let them dry while we're gone. No, caught on fire. Uh, God would bless me there. They put me in a hotel and remodeled the whole house, and, you know... Um, then my mama died, and uh, she was my best friend that I'll ever have in this whole wide world, because we had a relationship because of AA and Alamon that I can't explain. It was just, man, she was my best friend, and I didn't even get to grieve her death because I was still grieving my daughter. So for two or three years after my mama died, I pretend she was still over there with Phil, and that's how I survived it. You know, and just recently I've gotten in touch with a lot of my feelings that my mom was really in heaven, and she's gone. And my dad died when I was three years sober. I was able to go through that sober. No matter who loves you, leaves you, or dies, you don't have to drink. Pain won't kill you, but alcohol and drugs will. You know, I hated those people that say, well, you've got to feel deal and heal, and we'll be here to help you through it. <laughs> but, you know, when my daughter got killed, a lot of people in AA was really, what time is it? getting late. When my daughter uh, got killed, a lot of people in the program was really making me mad because they were t telling me, you know, uh, you got two other kids. 
And I'd say, well, you've got two legs. If one of them gets cut off, don't you miss one because you've got another. And uh, I was starting to get real angry, so you know what I had to do? I had to go to parents who had lost children. AA is not the fix-all for everything. The big book says we need to seek outside help. I didn't want to go there because the welcoming they gave me in that room said they know the high price I had to pay, and that was the death of my daughter. She was my life. Part of me died with her. But I'm trying to live again. And I know she wants me to live again. And I know my daughter wants me to live again. And I'm going to live again. But you know, I stayed angry for, I'm going to tell this one last story. I stayed angry for a long time. Been real angry. I had that love-hate relationship with God. And you know, I, I uh, had a sponsor, Linda Shue, up in Indiana. And she told me, uh, you're going to go to this women's retreat with me. And I said, no, I'm not going. And she said, yes, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. They've already got my sobriety birthday that weekend. She said, you're going to cancel it and you're going to this conference with me. Every time I want to kill myself, I'd call her and I'd say, I can't do this anymore. The pain of losing my daughter is killing me. And I said, I'm going to kill myself. And she said, go in the bathroom. I'm like, all right. I'm in the bathroom. What? Look in the mirror and laugh outside. Laugh out loud at yourself. You ain't going nowhere. So, one night, in sobriety, I had a gun in my mouth. I couldn't take it anymore. Lost my mom. Lost my house for burnt a lot of the things from her funeral. My daughter got killed. I come down with cervical cancer. They gave me a hysterectomy, which threw me into menopause on top of that. Y'all know what menopause is. Men, you better pause before you say anything. Um, <laughs> anyway, I had this gun in my mouth, and I, I said, God, you better give me an answer, and you better give me an answer now. See, because God ain't the type that takes demands usually. But I think he knows when you're serious, and he knows your heart. See, the world will judge me by my actions. God judges me by my intentions. And I'm grateful that people ain't God. <laughs> but anyway, um, I reached over and I grabbed the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I opened to this page with this gun in my mouth. And it said, be still and know that I am God. I had been reading this textbook right here over 20-some years. And I had never read this story. Never seen it. It said, my story has a happy ending, but not of a conventional kind. I had a lot more hell to go through. But what a difference there is going through hell with a power greater than yourself than going through hell without one. As might have been predicted, my teetering tower of worldly success collapsed. My alcoholic associates fired me, took control, and ran my enterprise into bankruptcy. My alcoholic wife took up with someone else, divorced me, and took with her all my remaining property. The most terrible blow of my life befell me after I found sobriety. Through AA, perhaps the single flicker of decency that shone through the fog of my drinking days was a clumsy affection for my two children, a boy and a girl. One night, my son, when he was only 16, was suddenly and tragically killed. The higher power was on deck to see me through. Sober. I think he's on hand to see my son through too. I think he's on hand to see us all through, whatever may come us. There have been some wonderful things too. My new wife and I don't own any property to speak of. The flashy successes of another day are no longer mine. But we have a baby who, if you pardon, a little alcoholic sentimentality is right out of heaven. And I believe that was my granddaughter that was left here behind. I have a grandson named Chance. Went to that conference that my, my sponsor told me I wasn't going to go to. Get in a little circle with 12 women, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, here we go. They got their little bookmarks and they light their candles. This one's on serenity, and she's going to talk about how serenity pertains to her life. And I'm like, okay. So, anyway, I listen to it, and it gets around to the fourth lady before me. And this is 200 miles away from home. 
with 400 women here, I'm stuck in a circle of 12. It gets around to the fourth lady before me, and her bookmark said gratitude. She said, I'd like to thank the family who in 1999 lost their little girl and gave me a liver. I was on my deathbed. I traveled that far kicking and screaming not wanting to go, and my daughter's liver is in that circle with me. I'm crying my eyes out at this point, and I knew. I knew God had me, and I knew he had my daughter. It gets around to my bookmark, and my bookmark says surrender. If you want to win, surrender to win. That's all I got. Thank you.